Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 25. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, I want you to listen to how this is framed. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes that is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Well, we have, uh, God's kind of blessed us uh, Thursday, Friday. Did we have some sunshine and uh, 50 degree weather, right? So they're kind of a, a calm before the storm. Amen. Well, we had the uh, sermon on the uh, we we had the sermon on the mount for a while ago, and then we have uh, the the sermon that he preached upon the mallet, the Olivet discourse that he preached upon uh, the the kind of the pinnacle of uh, uh, the Mount of Olives, and so now uh, we we have a a little bit of a quiet time in Jesus's life and the disciples' life before the real storm comes, right? So it, there's a little moment of, of, of quiet here, just a day or two. Now, you remember now, a bunch has happened since when? Since Palm Sunday? Since he came in to Jerusalem on Sunday, a bunch has happened, right? But we have just a little bit of quietness before the storm. You know, whether it's a swimming hole or a fishing hole, or a deer stand, or just a corner for some of you to sit down and read a good book, or just an opportunity to get away and just take a short walk, we all need a little downtime. We need a little quiet time, right? Well, this was the last that Jesus was going to have, and the last he was going to have with his disciples. Uh, let, let me tell you, if you didn't know this, everybody needs a little quiet time. Everybody needs a little quiet time. Everybody needs a little time with the Lord. Amen? And I highly suggest you do that morning. And as one of our men testified to us this morning in the men's meeting, he is trying to make it a practice to do it at night. And he was talking about already how much better his sleep was when he got up with the Lord and went to bed with the Lord. So that was a, a good word. So where we are at in this text this morning, these verses that are read, it's that quiet place for just a few hours that Jesus had with his disciples. The storm is about to come roaring in. And uh, I really don't think that the weather people have had a good grip on this yet. Uh, and I would remind you, for you that were alive in 2000, uh, matter of fact, I know who was at our house on that day, that Sunday afternoon, and all of a sudden we hear limbs starting to break and, and uh, limbs falling and things like that was going on. If, if you don't remember, we had an ice storm, and then, then not long after that we had 21 inches of snow. Now, I'm not telling you that's going to happen in the next couple of days, but it happened one time, right? But... Somewhere or the other, this winter storm's going to come roaring in, right? Okay. So, the rulers and religious 
and political leaders, all of those rulers, were plotting how to kill Jesus. And lo and behold, surely unsuspecting, one of his closest followers came and offered Jesus to them. That's kind of the beginning of the storm. So after that, Judas had made an offer. The religious leaders have accepted the offer. And Judas now is just looking for the first opportunity he can to hand Jesus over to them. So that's kind of where we're at. Evil is lurking. Might I remind you what the scripture says in 1 Peter? That the devil is just around the corner. And he's lurking. He is looking to kill, steal, and destroy. So as you would read that article about the sexual revolution that's being forced upon our young people... uh, it, it, it would do us well to prepare our young people for what's coming their way. Amen? Prepare them the best we can. So just at this time, Jesus takes the time for a last fellowship and some last-minute teaching with his closest followers. And I pray that uh, Jesus uh, would be pleased today with the way that we represent the Word of God. So may God bless the preaching of the Word today by His power and by His Word and by His Spirit. May He do with it what He sees fit to do. Today I want to look at three points. Number one, great privileges do not make the heart right with God. Number two, money can be a great snare. It can be a great snare. And number three, there is no hope For those who die without Jesus, for those who die unconverted, there is no hope, no hope, now or in eternity. So that's what we're going to look at today. I want to start by great privileges do not make the heart right with God. We found this out somewhat in chapter 24. You remember in chapter 24 we had that contrast to the two? One would be... Uh, one would be working in the f- two would be working in the field. One would be taken. One would be left. Two people would be uh, uh, treading out grapes, and one would be taken. One would be left. Two people could be in the bed. One taken and one left. Right. So we found out that associations uh, we have to make our own. We have to do our own business with the Lord. Somebody else is doing business wouldn't do any good. Well, here we find out that great privilege does not make us right with God. Now, how can we do that? We find out now that those who hold great positions, are you listening, and have great acquaintances and make great professions before men can have all of those benefits and yet their heart not be right with God. Your associations with your wife or with any other people uh, so, uh, one of my Catholic buddies called me this week, and oh, he told me he, he told me he and his wife were taking a trip, and I said, "So y'all are going to the Holy Land?" He said, "No, we're going to Rome." For the Catholics, that is the Holy Land. Okay, I said, "Do do you not realize what your Pope has done?" I said, "He is your Pope, isn't he?" He said, "Well, he's the Catholic Church Pope." Well, you know what? When he affiliates himself with the Catholic Church, it's his pope. He said, we're going to Rome. Okay? So, you can know the pope. You can know the governor. You can be close with John MacArthur. But those associations don't necessarily make you right with God. You have got to have a personal relationship with God Almighty through His Son, Jesus. That's the association you've got to have. Y'all with me? Okay. <clears throat> Talk about privileges. Y'all ever heard of Judas Iscariot? He was chosen by God. He was an eyewitness of the miracles of Jesus. 
he heard probably almost all of Jesus' teachings. He lived in the communion of the 11 other apostles. He hung around with Peter, James, and John. Are y'all with me? He labored alongside these men. Now listen to me carefully. His heart had never been changed. He still had a wicked, sinful heart that he got from Adam. His heart had not been changed. Not only that, but he had a besetting sin. He was greedy and loved money. He had made a credible profession of faith. I promise you, you guys, some of you guys need to be listening to me. He had wrote out his testimony and he had turned it in. That's a credible profession. That would get you church membership. There was nothing outwardly wrong with Judas's life. He appeared to believe. He appeared to forsake all and follow Jesus. Appearances are not necessarily as they seem. Amen? He was sent out to preach and to work miracles. I, I told the guys this morning, listen, listen men, this is not a good picture. If you are a saint at church and the best co-worker at the place you work and the devil at your house, that's not a good sign. Christianity is uh, not about compartmentalization. It's about a changed heart that leads to a changed life in its entirety. He was not suspected. You know, if anybody was going to suspect somebody else, Peter would have said, it's Judas. Peter didn't even suspect him. You know Peter's nature. He said, that's the dude right there. Again, again, his heart was never changed. Psalms 139, 23, and 24. And it's one of my favorites. It's one of Darla's favorites. Uh, it should be all of our favorites, okay? This is why this verse in Psalm 139, 23, 24, you have it. Look at it. Search who? Me. Not Deanna, not Jeannie, not Tom. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty housebroke. If I tell you how the Lord tests me, my thoughts. And I want to tell you what the Scripture says. I better be taking those captives those thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in them. Is that what it says? It's obvious that Judas didn't know the scripture or he didn't, he didn't apply it to his life, huh? And lead me in the way everlasting. What a prayer. Now, I had this happen this week. And I, I want to tell you, there are, there are some, y'all will well, struggle with this language, there are some precious young men in jail. And, and you, you just wonder, how in the world did that happen? How did they get here? So, I mean, oh, and I, by, the, by the way, I want to tell you, my sermons preach much better in jail than they do here. I don't know if it's because it's the second time, but it just, it just seems to click. But I was preaching about Matthew 26, 1 through 5, him preparing his disciples. It just, it just man, it just works so good in jail. So after I got through 
and, I'm, I, and I go over and I push the button. So y'all don't know anything about the county jail. So I go into a cell and they shut the door, okay? And then the guy says, I'll be up in the control booth or I'll have to be up for a front in a minute. And Anyway, so I go over and push the button, I'm done. And five minutes later, 10 minutes later, and the guys are all saying, you're going to get to spend the night with us. So anyway, so they... They they found so I pushed the button and this kid says uh, I I tell you his name but it's a really uncommon name you might even know him he says brother Bruce how do I know I'm saved I want to tell you that's a wonderful question how do I know I'm saved so listen to me carefully. We want to never be content without evidence that there's been a changed heart. Never be content without evidence that your, your heart has been radically changed. In other words, you are going in a different direction. Y'all know my favorite scripture, and, and I tried my best. I mean, I looked at every modern translation I could find, and I never found it completely, so I didn't give credit here. But this is not the ESV, and it's not the NIV, and it's not the King James. Here's what I'm talking about. This is Paul. In the past, I voluntarily gave myself to the service of vice and wickedness for the purpose of becoming truly evil. Now, some of you weren't that bad. You weren't as bad as me and Paul. You didn't get up, lay down, thinking about doing evil. But some of us did. But now, with a changed heart, but now I give myself to the service of righteousness for the purpose of being truly good. That's a different life. It's a different heart that brings that about. Did you hear me? A change of heart leads to a different direction and for some of us to a changed life. Now look, people that were good and moral and raised right and wasn't as bad as me or Paul or you, they may struggle with that. But even those good people need to know that their heart has been changed and now they're focused on God and not themselves. So, privilege and position won't get you into heaven. If it would have, Judas would have made it. Number two, money can be a great snare. The love of money is a great snare to the soul. It and possessions are great snares to the soul. So I told my 16-year-old grandson yesterday, it doesn't matter what town you're going into, in or out, you're going to see storage buildings everywhere. So I asked this 16-year-old kid, I said, you know what those are? He said, uh, storage buildings. I said, that's good, Owen. I said, you know what that means? I... I I should have got his quote, but I can't come up with it. I, I said, what that means is people got too much stuff. And they can't keep it at their house or in their yard. They got to rent a storage building to put it in. That is a sign that people got too much stuff. So Judas is clear proof that money is a snare. Look, look back in uh, chapter, yeah, look back in 26. Look, look, look at verse, look at verse 15. This is one of the so-called apostles, chapter 26, verse 15. Look at, his, look at what he asked the, the religious and political leaders. What will you give me? If I deliver him to you. 
And I want to tell you, he sold out for nothing. So money is a great snare. Today we're looking at someone that used money very selfishly. I asked another one of my grandsons in the last few days. I said, how can, and he is, I've told you, I told you he was. He's a, he's a very, for a 20-year-old kid, he's really generous, okay? And, and that's, that's a good sign. It's very, it's, it's very unusual to see a young people that are very generous. But I asked him, I said, do you know how to combat greed? I said, you've got to be open-handed. You've got to give, a, give what you've got away. That's the best way. Uh, Deanna's handing out uh, giving forms for the year, okay? Giving to the local church is a good way to combat greed in your own life. It just helps. It, to give it away, say, it's not mine anyway. It's the Lord, and here's his portion back. That's a good sign. 1 Timothy 6.10, I want you to get this now. It's not money that's evil. Y'all understand that? I mean, we all got to have it. And if you hadn't been to the grocery store lately, you've got to have more now than you had to have last year. First Timothy 6.10, for the what? Love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving, look at this, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Does that describe Judas? Hey, listen, 2,000 plus years ago, y'all listening? This guy called Judas in the Bible, he's still suffering. Matter of fact, the song says 10,000 years you just started. 2,000 years he's just started. So how about the church? Is there any history in the church of people that were entrapped by finances? How about these? For money, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. For money, Samson and women (laughs) caused him to be betrayed and given over to the Philistines. For money, Gehazi deceived Naaman and lied to Elisha. For money, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, tried to deceive Peter, and God struck them dead. For money, Judas betrayed Jesus. These are all examples from the Bible. So let me ask you this. I don't know if you've got this in your notes or not. I have to trim down nine pages to four, so I don't know what I'll leave in and what I'll leave. I'm not looking at your notes, but listen to this. So all of us with any kind of IQ at all and any kind of education or common sense know that like lots of other things, drugs and alcohol can cause much evil, that money can cause lots of problems. Matter of fact, if you want to know anything about the evil of money, let a family with four or five siblings, let their parents die and let them have a little bit of money. Usually it turns into a fight. That's just the truth of the matter. Okay? Now listen. Knowing all of that, can we believe that the cause of so much evil, money, is love so much? I just, I don't know, I don't know about kids, I don't know, I think about Yael and Joseph and Isaiah and Benjamin, Jack. You know, I, I don't know when they get a little older, they want to grow up and have lots of money and be rich and drive nice cars. Uh, that, that, you have heard that before. <clears throat> so we must all be on guard against the love of money. It's a plague in this world. And it's much more 
dangerous spiritually than any pandemic that we might have. So, you know, you remember Dagon that they set up in, in the house? Uh, the, the, the idol that they were going to have, wasn't it Dagon? And so they came back the next day and he had fallen over. You remember that? So, and, and then the next day he fell over and his head was falling off and maybe his appendages, you remember that? We, we don't have those kind of idols, right? But I'll never forget this. I will never forget in 2009 at the uh, True Church Conference when Conrad McWaby pulled out his wallet and held up a $10 bill. And he said, this is not the idol of Africa. But this is your idol. That was in 2009. I'll never forget that when that man said that. So we don't have, quote, idols, but for many, money is worship. Possessions are worshiped. From the least to the greatest, we are all liable. Listen to this, these two quotes. We may not have any, but we'd love to have it. Or we may have much and just want more. That's how most of the world operates. Those who don't have any would want more, and those that do have some, they want even more. So, before we know it, this idol, just like other idols, drugs, alcohol, whatever the case may be, got me. You know, that's what idols do. It just waits, and all of a sudden, you're God. And let me just tell you again, the way you combat loving money is to give it away. Be generous with it. Because, hey, listen, I promise you, oh, 2005, 2006, Brother Bob could probably tell me. I, I know people that, that worked for 10 years after that because they were right at the place of retiring and all of a sudden their retirement was gone. I want to tell you, all we've got, it doesn't matter if it's cash or gold or an IRA or an annuity, it can be gone in a minute. Gone. Then what are we going to do? We won't have any God to trust in because we've been trusting in money. Charles Spurgeon had a wife named Susanna. And... I have, I, have, I have no evidence whatsoever that he, he died uh, necessarily a pauper, but he surely didn't die rich. And, and he preached to 6,000 every Sunday. Uh, some of the most influential people in England, in London in particular, would come here and preach. And often he would be given a sum of money. And he'd bring it home to Susanna and say, I think we need to find a way to give this away pretty quickly. He didn't think he didn't talk about keeping it or whatever the case may be because he knew the dangers of money. Listen. Money will destroy our souls just like any other idol. That's what it can become. It can consume us. Did it not ruin a supposed apostle of Christ? Money was the ruin of Judas. Let us remember the scripture. I'm at Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Hey, y'all know the little joke, right? You ain't never seen no armored car fall in a hearse. You can dig up, you can dig up all those tombs you want to. And that money or that gold is still in there. They did not take it with them. So somebody tell me the answer. 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8, For we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Proverbs 38 and 9, First, help me to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Here's a promise. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. 
So somebody answered the question, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul? Absolutely evil. It's all it could possibly do. So what do we want to be rich in? How about God's grace? How about love for God and love for one another? Amen? Hey, I'm not sure we didn't have the biggest crowd for fellowship and prayer we've ever had in a year and a half or so. This morning, this terrible morning, we had a wonderful crowd. And, 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 and so I, I got there about 7.15, and, and Russ said, and Russ is down in his back. He, he said he had to go home and lay down. Uh, but he, he said he pulled in the parking lot. He came around the corner. He saw all these cars. And, and so you could go in there, and you could go off in a room, and there's just a buzz of people, young men and boys and older men talking, having a good time. That's what we want to be rich in. Love for one another. We want to be rich in service. We got a work week coming up. Man, you want to feel good about being a member of your church? Be here two or three nights. It's amazing what happens. Now, what we don't want to do is to get to judgment and find out we made a bad deal. Are y'all with me? Judas got to judgment and he found out that 30 pieces of silver was a bad deal. And I'm not sure he realized it to then. Just like Esau. Remember Esau? For a bowl, listen, not for a bowl of vegetable beef or chicken queso soup that you can have at Becky's house at lunch today if you'll show up out there. No, we're talking about for a bowl of bean soup. He sold his birthrights. Y'all listen, that was a bad deal. Or like Judas, 30 pieces of silver. You could, have gone, you could have gone to any city during the day of Judas and the most wore-out servant there, you would have paid no more than 30 pieces of silver for. And that's what he sold Jesus for. Nothing. Pennies. Y'all listen, that's a bad deal. So, privileges and associations won't get you into heaven. Listen, now y'all listen to me. There are paupers, there are people who don't have nothing that love money just as much as a guy with a billion dollars loves money. It's not the amount, it's not the money, it's the love for. Are you with me? The love for money and possessions is a great snare. And number three, this week as we look at this text and look at Judas. And, and I don't know, this, this, out of the three, this may be the most serious. There is no hope for those who die unconverted. Those who die lost. Y'all hear me? No hope. No hope today. No hope at judgment. No hope at the resurrection of the the resurrection of the dead, no hope in judgment, no hope 20 years down the road, no hope 2,000 years down the road, no hope 10,000 years down the road. No hope. Verse 24. This is how serious it is. This is the word of Jesus. The Son of Man goes at is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Now here. This is how bad it is to die unconverted, to die lost. It would have been better for that man, for that person, if he had not even been born. It would be better never to live than to live and to die without Christ. Because, you know, All of us have some responsibility 
and some understanding that there is a higher power, that there is a God, there's a God of creation. If we had never lived, we would not have that understanding or that knowledge. So there's only one way to interpret this verse. Are you listening now? It teaches plainly that it's better never to live than to live without faith and to die without grace. To die in a lost and unbelieving faith is to be ruined in hell forever. Not for a minute. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses teach. They teach that just for a moment you'll suffer in hell and then you're annihilated, your whole being disappears. I want to tell you, I ain't never even seen a hint of that in Scripture. We're going to read a little about it here. Okay, now listen. Look at Luke 16, 26. I love it. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. It's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Uh, I'm sure there's other places, but this is the only one coming to my mind right now. Uh, The Rio Grande River. Uh, There's a place as it's going between... Out, out in West Texas and down in the Big Bend country that is between the United States and Mexico. And there's a place that it goes uh, through a rock wall, okay? It's 30 foot wide down at the riverbed. 30 foot wide, and it's 30 foot wide at the top for 1,500 feet. Now, with, with airplanes and helicopters and all that kind of stuff, right? Today, we could go from one side to the other. But you got to get this picture. You're standing over here, and, and 30 feet over here is, you're in hell, and 30 feet is over here is heaven. And there's no way for eternity for you to get there. Once you're in hell, it's fixed forever. When we fall from God's grace, and when we fall into hell, we fall into a place that there's no recovery from. There's no change in hell. It's constant torment for those who are there. So this this teaching completely refutes universal salvation that all are saved and secondly, annihilation. The gulf, the chasm between heaven and hell is one that no one ever has or anyone ever will cross over to. It's an impossibility. So this statement could have never been used if there was any truth in the false doctrine of universal salvation. Not everybody goes to a better place. And I want to tell you, that may not be the common doctrine, but that's the common statement. That you often hear at funerals. If it was true, are you listening? If it was true that sooner or later all would reach heaven, this statement that Jesus made could not have been made. If it was true that sooner or later hell would be emptied, Jesus would not have said it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. If there was any way to change that, he would just say, just hunker down there for a day or two and it'll be okay. He didn't say that. You know, I've kind of always thought I could stand on my head for 24 hours if I had to. Somebody put me up there. That wouldn't be any way I could get up there. But I've always thought I could. But hell is forever. If this was true, suffering would be just for a minute. Hell would lose its terror if it had an end. Universal salvation finds no ground here. Listen, hell is real. 
And hell is eternal. Mark 9, 43 through 44. And if thy hand offend thee, there's a guy here this morning that this wore him out one time. And thankfully, before he cut off a hand, he came to his senses. Amen? And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. These are the words of Jesus. And this doesn't preach too well at youth conferences, I tell you, by the way. It, matter of fact, this doesn't preach too well anywhere. I promise you, you go and preach this at any church, you'll never get a reinvite. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into that fire. These are just the words of Jesus. Into that fire that never shall be quenched where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. This is not Paul. This is not Peter. This is not James. This is not Isaiah. This is not Ezekiel. This is the words of Jesus. That one, let me remind you, that died so you don't have to go to hell. One old timer says, unless a man is born again, he will wish one day that he had never been born at all. It would be better to have no being than not to have a being in Christ. The guy's name was Burkett, and I couldn't find out who he was, so I said an old timer. So, so let us, since you didn't cut off your hands when they did evil, let us grasp these truths with both hands. Let's take hold of them. There are always those that deny the reality of the eternality of hell. The Jehovah Witnesses will give you that there's a hell, but only for a moment. We live in a time in which the God of love and mercy trumps the God of justice. You know what I'm talking about? I just don't believe that that God of love would ever send somebody to a place like that forever. Listen, there would be no hell if the angels that rebelled were not going to be there. There would be no hell unless there had to be a place. You know what those angels' problems were? They were rebellious. They didn't want to take orders from God. They didn't want to follow God, so they rebelled. You know what the problem is today with people who will not believe and trust in God? They're rebellious. They think there's another way to get into heaven. Just like the angels were. Hell is only prepared for those rebellious people that reject the authority and the sovereignty and the, the oneness of God in His way to be saved. They're just rebellious. Let us resist these lies with a holy zeal. Let us not be ashamed of the old way. An old way that teaches, listen to me, there is an eternal God. There is an eternal hell. And there is an eternal heaven. Somebody say amen. Let me tell you that there's not much distance in believing that hell is not real nor eternal and outright unbelief. I wish that was my quote. Let me say it again. I think this is J.C. Ryle. Let me tell you, there's not much distance in believing that hell is not real or eternal in right unbelief. So let me tell you what I'm saying here. If you can convince yourself that hell is not real or eternal, you don't need Jesus. So see, there's not much distance in an improper doctrine about hell and unbelief. Y'all with me? This is important. Doctrine is important. If there's no hell, then people are, there's no obligation to believe. You've got to be careful about what you believe. Summarizing, God, great privileges do not make the heart right with God. So what does this call for? You've got the scripture there. Serious examination. 
Right? Associations don't do it. Serious examination. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves or you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can't work to be saved, but you're investigating, you're examining yourself to see if you are saved. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Your life will be changed and you will live in such a way that you bring pleasure to God. Number two, money can be a great snare. So, these two verses say basically the same thing. So I just put uh, 11.22.9 in, in, in your program. But 11.25 and 22.9 says this, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 22.9, The generous will, will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. So to keep money from being a great snare, you need to be generous with what you have. Number three, there's no hope for those who die unconverted. You remember the words of Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Remember that? Then he goes on to say, many of you will say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not drive out demons, perform many miracles? And then he said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And that's separated from God Almighty, Jesus Christ, for eternity. That's hell. So this is just a quick invitation. So with these dangers in mind, what would that be? Uh, privilege and position uh, do not make you right with the Lord. Love of money is a snare. And there's no hope for those who die for in, uh, the unconverted. So Spurgeon uses this word. We should always be self-suspicion of us, ourselves. This, this scripture in, in, in Psalms 139, 23, it, it does not say, search me, O God, and know Jeannie's heart, or search me, O God, and know Bob's heart, or Bob's heart, or Billy's heart. We're not to be suspicious of others. We're to be suspicious of who? Ourselves. Is that not what it says? And see if there be any grievous way with me and lead me in the way everlasting. Don't play loose or unconcerned about your soul. Listen, your soul is the most important part of your being. And let me just say this, men and women, those children that you have fathered and have brought into this world have souls. Be concerned about them. Teach them the right way. Listen, some of you come to church. You hear sound preaching and teaching. You sing hymns. You come to work day. You support financially. You partake of the Lord's Supper. You can do all of those things, and you can still end up in hell. What of those wouldn't Judas have done? Listen, you must be born again. There must be a change of heart. There must... There must have been and be evidence of a radical and consistent change of direction. In the past, I did what? I voluntarily gave myself to the service of vice and wickedness. But now, I've been born again. I give myself to the service of righteousness. I'm telling you, that, that scripture means so much to me. Listen, Judas is in hell today. at the Passover he dipped his hand in the bread into the dish he's in hell today Judas, Jesus' words are so convincing it would have been better for that man if he had not been born it is better to have never lived than to live without faith to live without grace that brings about conversion. So I'm going to tell you, I love you. 
If you're saved, I can't unsave you. But if you're not saved, I want you to become aware of it now, not at judgment. Because you've still got time now to repent and believe. Amen? So ponder these. Death, burial, resurrection, judgment, eternity. And I was thinking about all this. I've had this discussion with someone this day, this week. Uh, I, I, I don't hear this as much as I used to. And it's, I don't think it's because I have hearing aids. I just don't think it's the thing to say now. Or they don't say it to me. I used to hear all the time, God knows my heart. He does. But here's the problem. We don't. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. One translation I like better. Desperately wicked. So you, now listen. Who can understand it? So why should, now tell me. Tell me Peter, James, and John were not self-suspicious. What'd they say? They didn't say, Judas. They said, is it me? Am I saved? Am I converted? Has my life been radically altered by Christ? What is my direction? Am I seeking holiness and serious godliness? Oh, you've been so kind and so patient. I pray that by the Spirit and by the Word and by His power, He would do with this message with me and you this week what He sees fit to do.